into the area. Janček, stab through, chance, shot, goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes at the end for the derby! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club, still unbeaten in the Scottish Premiership this campaign. We are on episode 151, so it's probably poignant that we have a guest coming on very shortly who won 5-1, isn't it? Mark Donaldson. Yeah, any excuse to, to look back nine years ago, and I'm sure we'll do a we'll do a tenth anniversary one when the next um, podcast number gets to fifteen, like two hundred and fifteen. We'll find an excuse to talk about it as well. But it's always nice to talk about it when you've got someone involved that day, and that's what we have today. Indeed, we will be joined by former Hearts goalkeeper and Hearts Cup winner from 2012, Jamie McDonald, in, let's say, about maybe 10 minutes or so to talk about his time at the club, his career to date, and anything else that might crop up. Uh, Before then, we will have a quick look back to the game that just happened at the weekend, of course, the big Edinburgh derby on Sunday, Hart and Midlothian against Hibernian. And at some point, we'll have a look ahead to this coming weekend as well. Right, first up it was Hearts against Hibs at Tynecastle on Sunday lunchtime. Uh, top of the table clash, or at least it was before Saturday when Rangers defeated St Johnston, but it was still an opportunity for one of these clubs to not just get the bragging rights in the capital, but to leapfrog Rangers and go top of the Premiership table. Look at this game, Mark, now we're not going to go into it as much as we normally do because we do have a guest waiting to, to come on to the show. Um, probably no real surprises with Hearts in terms of system and how they approach the game tactically and in the end a very even affair and it's one of these where I was quite surprised after the match obviously I'm not keeping tabs on social media and what people are saying during commentary it was a nil-nil but I thought it was actually a really open and watchable game I agree with that and I'll, I'll tell you why because there have been games in the past, Hearts-Hibs games, that have been nil-nil for long spells, but have been shite. And you think, well, one goal is definitely going to be enough to win this one. And if you concede, then you're in trouble because the likelihood of getting one back is is pretty uh, is pretty pretty narrow. But that game, if that had been two all, three all even, um, you couldn't really complain. I think Hearts got the better of the game over the piece. Um, but once again, I don't think we finished very well. We we, we spoke last season about not starting games well. Um, just a little bit concerned that we're not quite adapting to formations once they're changed. And in the end, not really finishing as, as well as we would like. Indeed, it was in the end um, a tale of two goalkeepers, both Craig Gordon and Matt Macy performing really well. I think big saves. I, I, I thought the best save from Craig Gordon actually didn't count in the end and I think we'll we'll talk about this sort of thing with Jamie McDonald but um, his one from Martin Boyle in the first half was fantastic and at the other end I thought Matt Macy's block from Gary Mackay-Steven in the second period when Mackay-Steven was in one-on-one was a really strong right hand as well. Just two good goalkeeping displays, two very good goalkeeping displays but I was speaking to my mum and dad after the game and, and they kind of said how nice it is to know that we don't need to worry about a goalkeeper at yeah. Hearts because the likelihood is he's going to save more more than he doesn't. Um, most of the, the last kind of 10, 15 years when up against Hibs, a lot of the time they've had a poor goalkeeper. So we've not had that narrative of of two good goalkeepers on an Edinburgh derby. But I think he was second choice. He was backup last year, was he not, to Marciano. So he looks all right, mm-hmm. Macy. Um, I just, I got a little bit frustrated. I don't want to kind of seem like a, a point's a good result at home to Hibs because I wanted three as, as every Hearts fan did 
I, I don't want to get too down the negative route. Just the, the honest perspective would be a lack of options middle to front for Hearts right now, whether it's the formation or the players or, or whatever it is. I just feel that there's a few times in, during that game, and we've seen it in other games this season, where whoever's had the balls kind of shrugged the shoulders or put his arms out and said, come on, give me an option. That's a concern. And look, if I can see it, I'm sure Robbie can see it as well. I think we have really good strength and depth now. Because when I looked at that bench, compared to the bench that we had, uh, was it the first game of the season against Celtic? I mean, it was it was night and day. The first game of the season mm-hmm. bench was like a crash, whereas that bench was 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 pretty strong compared to to what we've had in the past. But I just think that there's I don't think we're far away, and that's a big positive because if you'd asked me at the start of the season after the Hibs game, this is where you'll be unbeaten, we'd have taken it. But I think we're we're a little bit away as far as chance creation is concerned um, going forward. Yeah, I, I think you're you're spot on. There's some big positives. I thought Craig Halkett, who has started this season very well. I think he started the game a bit shaky, but he really grew into it, and I thought that was one of his strongest displays overall. Um, you know, Benny Beningame in the centre again, worked really hard, so good at winning the ball back. Haring was composed, read the game really well, and he seems to be building a nice partnership with Beningame. I thought Woodburn looked very lively when he was playing. Um, I think Mackay, when he came on as well, actually, I thought, very, I thought yeah, he looked very not, sharp. Yeah, someone who's not had a pre-season, a proper pre-season, and has kept himself fit with a personal trainer. There was one where I think he was the furthest one back, helping out defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of got me thinking with him going forward, depending on the formation we play, if Barry Mackay's in there, Gary Mackay-Stevens in there, if Josh Janelli's in there, if Ben Woodburn's in there, Liam Boyce in there, then you've, I, I suppose, I don't, I mean, Cammy Devlin's a little bit more of a, a more defensive player, I, I think. So we've got good options. And listening back to last week's podcast with Ryan, and he was talking about, I think you were talking about it as well. It's not a case of, of you just set and forget. It's a case of, well, if you're starting this week and you don't perform, you're not playing next time. So that's what you want from, from strength and depth. But where's Barry Mackay's best position? Because he can play in two or three different player, uh, different places. Yeah, I think if we persist with the 3-4-3, three, three, um, or continue with it, that sounded like I was saying it's a bad thing, which I don't necessarily say it's a bad thing. Uh, you know, Off the left of that front three, I would suggest would be his ideal position. Um, I, I mean, I guess the big question still remains, um, and this isn't to say that huge negatives on, on Sunday, but the wing-back positions, I think, is where I think there's still a big question mark in this formation. However, um, we talked about four two three one maybe being better, but I get the feeling that Robbie wants to to stick with this. And I don't know if you saw he was on open goal uh, this week, which I thought was a oh, decent. Robbie was. He was. Yeah, had a decent fifteen minute interview with with um, Cy Ferry and and Slaney. And it, I don't watch them too often, but I think it's. It's good when how, you have. We, how Ouija was it? Because Robbie being for Paisley and those two with accents that are difficult to understand, did it come with subtitles? <laughs> you you probably needed them for Slaney, but I think Sai and Robbie were okay. okay. But I, I get the feeling he, he wants to stick with this 3-4-3. I think they've done a lot of work in that shape and the organisation, and I can see why a manager like Robbie would like it, because you know from a team that season before last just had no structure to it, was so weak at the back, was so easy to play through, very little in the way of organisation. We seem to have a very solid foundation with this system. That's just the concern, is those two areas. Because again, I thought Cochrane and Smith still looked like fullbacks, and you kind of feel like you need just a little bit more sometimes if you're going to be playing a 3-4-3. Yeah, I mean... If there is a plan B, we've seen it a couple of times where he, he does change formation slightly. Um, and he did. He did later on. And he said that. He's got two systems. He's got this one and he's got the plan B, which is a four at the back. Yeah. Um, as long as the players are, are au fait with it and, and know it and are confident playing it, I just... We always want more as as supporters of football, anything. But mainly Hearts fans. You win 2-0, well, we should have scored more. We're all like that. But when it's nil-nil, and we created chances, and the goalkeeper did well. We were, we were a bit profligate with some of them. I thought Guy McKay-Stevens should have scored when he was when he was through on goal. 
Um, but I, I, I just, I'd like us to to move the ball quicker. I still think we dwell a little bit too long in possession, and with the players that we have, I mean, I was messaging a couple of people at half time just saying why we need to get the ball more to Ben Woodburn because he looks like he can he could really do something. And I always feel confident and comfortable when Benny Benningham is on the ball. He's just a class act. He's a Rolls Royce in the middle of the park. But it's what happens after that. It's when the ball leaves his feet, how long it takes to get further forward. So I don't want this to be criticism or anything like that because who am I to criticise? I just think that the place we're in right now is is is, is pretty good. I think we're not far away. And as long as we keep building and we do get the chance creation and we do get the movement and we do get the options and we do get the goals that come with that, then I think we're in a we're in a good place. I certainly would have signed up for this um, at the start of the season if you'd offered it to me after this spell of games. So now it becomes different. Now it becomes games that we're expected to win and how we deal with that. We go to Ross County. We're expected to win that. Mother will have started the season well. They come to Tynecastle. Livy as well. Um, can be hit or a miss on any given day. So different expectations. And while I'm I'm probably more confident about Ross County away and getting the three points than I would be bizarrely about Ross County at home, even although it seems an easier game, I still think we struggle, Laurie, with teams that don't have any interest in coming out and trying to attack us when they come to Tynecastle, whereas they kind of have to do so when they play at home. So that's why I'm I'm pretty com- confident of getting all three points this weekend at um, at Dingwall. And we will get to that a little bit later. But you're you're quite right. I think in terms of position we're in, obviously you want to win a derby, especially at home. Disappointing now that it's it's actually eight Edinburgh derbies without a home winner. Um, Hebs with with a without four four without defeat at Tynecastle and Hearts four without defeat at Easter Road. But looking at the so the teams we've played, we've played. Celtics. We've played a team that finished second last season. We've played a team that finished third last season. We've played a team that finished fourth last season. And we've had two away games. I think to be unbeaten at this stage, and I've only dropped four points, and to be a point off the top, I think you would have bitten, I think anyone would have bitten your hand off for for that at the start of the season. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to think what's what's more pleasing. While the game against Celtic, I mean, as I said at the time, I thought it was the perfect time to get them. We still had to go and beat them which we did. But one of the more pleasing things for me is that away, uh, the, the two away wins. Yeah. Because we've been shite away from home. How long was it since our last win outside the capital against Dundee? It was, was like March, March 2019. That was the last time outside that of Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah, so that fills me with optimism. And, and those games as well, um, especially the game at Tannadice, I, I felt we we dictated play there. That's what I want to see from, from Hearts. Because... We had 12 months of kind of th- saying, doing predictions in this podcast and, and saying, oh, well, we should win this or whatever. And we, we just didn't learn our lesson. That Hearts team was, wasn't good uh, for whatever reason. Um, and we decided that Hearts are probably going to win this weekend because they're Hearts. No, it doesn't work like that. We found that out since. We probably knew it at the time, but we, we let our heart rule our head. But the way that we played at Tannadice, I was very impressed with. I know Craig had a few saves to make, which ultimately I thought were routine for him because he's a world-class goalkeeper. Um, but the way that we kind of... We were a bit like peacocks that day. We strutted. I liked that. I've not seen that for Hearts for a while. Right. Let's um, let's move things along and uh, welcome our special guest for the week. Okay, next up, we have this week's special guest on Scarves Around the Funnel. And we've had one Hearts Cup-winning goalkeeper on the podcast already. So we thought, why not make it two? Uh, We're delighted to be joined by a man who had not very much to do back on (laughs) the 19th of May 2012. But he played his part, of course. Jamie McDonald, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Laurie. How's yourself? I'm very good. I'm very good. It's always nice to have a chat with Hearts Cup winners, especially someone who's not Ryan McGowan, who seems to be on every week just now. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to talk goes at that's why. He certainly does. I think he's fired a few questions for you, actually, already on WhatsApp. <laughs> we'll see what he's saying. Uh, but but thank you f- for joining. You're obviously in the early stages of your own season at Wraith Rovers. Uh, it's been... 
a tricky start to the campaign, but I know there's been that one big highlight, especially against Aberdeen in the League Cup. How are things going this campaign so far? Yeah, do you know what? It's been a strange start to the season for us. Um, we've actually played pretty well. Um, most games, we've obviously had the cup run uh, of getting getting through the group stages, which was our first in, I think, a few years for Rafe. And then obviously beating Aberdeen in the, the following round, which gives us you know, a, a very exciting tie um, to look forward to next week against Celtic. But in the league, it's it's our form's been erratic to say the least. Um, and it, as I say, we've we've not actually played that badly. Um, we started the, the the league campaign being four nothing up after seventy minutes against Hamilton, only to draw four each, and which was obviously very disappointing. Which felt like a defeat in the end. And and even at the weekend there, you know, we've, we've got one 0 defeat at home to Queen of South. But you know, it was a game we. We dominated for 60-70 minutes of the game and unfortunately couldn't get the result. We've got um, we've got a few questions that have been sent through and we'll, we'll kind of uh, get to them as we go. But I thought it would be good to take you back to your early days at Hearts, I think 2002 or 2003 when you, you first signed senior when Craig Levine was manager. Um, yeah. One thing that was asked, Dave Sutherland messaged and said, what Hearts keeper had the biggest influence on you and who helped you coming through the ranks or who pushed you to be better? Because I know Craig Gordon was around the team uh, yeah. back then as well, but he was still quite young, especially for a goalkeeper himself. Yeah, I, th- I think um, obviously Craig, Craig's the obvious one that comes to mind initially. Um, where I think you know Craig's three or, three or four years older than me and he was the one that you kind of looked up to even at that stage when I first joined, you know, he, he wasn't quite playing for the first team, but he was the one everybody spoke about. And, you know, it was only really a matter of time before he broke through, which I think happened probably my first year in. Um, but you had goalkeepers like Roddy McKenzie was was there at the time as well. And to be fair, Roddy was a was a, a good influence in the young, young goalies then as well. You know, he'd been about, I had been at Hearts for a, for a long time, um, probably it was a wee bit unfortunate, probably not to really get a, a proper run in the team. I think when he did get a run in the team, I think I'm sure he ended up breaking his thumb on a, a mid on a winter's break in Portugal. Um, and for then they brought in Tepe Moylan in. Um, and obviously, as I say, the rest is kind of history regarding obviously Craig ended up breaking through then. And for me, you know, Craig's always been a, a kind of influence and somebody I've looked up to. Um, and you know, someday I, I still speak to this day, and he's obviously somebody that you can speak to about football, and it's always been a, a big help throughout my career. Teppy Moylanen wore tights one day, <laughs> terrific because he had no calves, no legs, no nothing. He was just um, ahead of the game, Mark. That's what all well, the boys were now. Aye, but if if there was one fashion faux pas that you've made in your career, what was it? Oh, it could be. What footballing wise, or or just if you want general. if you want to if you want to deviate to your personal life, uh, <laughs> the, whole, the whole later hosing down George Street, then feel free. But... I used to like a snazzy shot at Christmas night, to be no, fair. Not, but... That's all right. <laughs> um, fashion faux pas. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm probably too boring to have a fashion faux pas. To be honest, did you what see any? For... <laughs> well, yeah, I must have seen a few. I've seen plenty, but. That's usually here, does that's Ryan Stevenson's domain, uh, you know, with Mohawks and the rest. Of it. Um, I don't think I've really changed much in terms of apart from losing my hair over the years. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I don't think I've really been at that out there. As I say, I'm, I'm probably too boring for all of that. There's... What about a goalkeeping cap? Because some of them wear it for the sun and um, not all of them look great wearing it. I don't think I've ever seen Craig I've... Gordon wearing a cap. I've you never, nah, the, the last time I wore a cap, I think it was in a under-15s Scottish Cup tie or something like that, <laughs> and I remember it, and I got slaughtered for it, because it was a sunny, obviously, a nice sunny day, and there was a ball that got played through, and I literally spent half my time trying to flip my cap off, because it was annoying me. And I end up bringing the boy down and giving away a penalty, <laughs> and scoring a goal, and they scored for it, and I think they won one nothing, and Whoever the goalie coach was back then actually 
like brought that up was like you're too busy fighting with your cap and paying attention to that <laughs> instead of just concentrating on the ball and so to be fair since then I've, I've never worn one um, for me as soon as you look in the sky you see, the sun's in your eyes anyway it's, it's a pretty useless bit of equipment for me you mentioned Craig Gordon and I wanted to I wanted to touch upon a, a game and a date that when Craig was on the podcast he actually mentioned and I want to see what your memories of it are um, the date probably won't um, uh, be immediately obvious but 19th of November 2006 Hearts are at home to Rangers now with t- <laughs> yeah. 12 minutes to go Nacho Novo scores a yeah. deflected shot past Craig Gordon Malafev what do you remember of what happened after <laughs> that goal went in? Absolute shit myself um, <laughs> excuse my language um, yeah, yeah, so obviously Nacho Novo scores, and the next thing I was on the bench, I think I was 18, 19 at the time. And the next thing that Edward Malafay turns around and, and starts screaming at me in Russian, obviously, he didn't, he didn't speak any English. Um, and he's he's we interpreters next to him sitting going, Go warm up, go warm up. And I'm going, What me? I was like. <laughs> And I'm saying, I'm, I'm in like panic and, and also going, shouting, going to the interpreter, going, I'm a goalie. <laughs> I can, we've just went, I can, we've just went one down down at Rangers with 10 minutes to go. I think he had one sub left and he's sitting screaming at me, telling me to go, to go warm up. Um, cause yeah, for whatever reason, he, he felt Craig, oh, obviously it's around about that time with the, the Rick and Three kind of era, cause I'm pretty sure. Um, I was sitting next to Big Elvis on the bench that night. Yeah, and it was, and you know, he, he's he's telling me to go and warm up because Nacho Novo scored. So I so I end up obviously having to go out warm up, and I, I'm pretty, I don't know if I actually went behind the goal where Craig was and <laughs> sitting going what to me what you doing? I was like, <laughs> he's telling me to go warm up, but uh, it was surreal because as I say, we uh, one 0 down, ten minutes to go. And he's asking me to go warm up. But I, I, at that point, I hadn't obviously I hadn't played a, a first team football game at that point either. <laughs> you know, I'd played a nineteens maybe for a full season and a, a maybe half a season of reserve games. But you know, that was was kind of yeah. And it was just it was just such a strange strange thing. You know, you, I was thinking he was going to stick another striker on and obviously go and try and get back into the game. But he's he obviously he didn't take too kindly to the goal going in and and obviously thought Craig should have done better. Jamie, was there ever any, any time at Hearts under Romanov, Malafiev or whatever, where you thought, no, nah, this is dodgy or something's not right here? Oh, yeah, I think, I think most of the time. Especially in the, you know, for me, I maybe wasn't as, or I would say maybe wasn't as affected, but probably I wasn't a obviously an established first team player or anything where it was really like detrimental to me because I was really just a a young kid coming up at that initially um, pretty much just travelling as a third choice half the time but it's just it was you know it's the substitutions the the constant changes in management you know Romanoff appearing like when he wanted um, you know, you'd have a meeting every other weekend. If it wasn't through Romanov, it was you know through I was at Fedotovus. Mm-hmm. You know, his right hand man. There would there would always be yeah. something, and there would always be an issue with something. You know, it's almost like a paranoia on his part as well. And I, I think it probably would have been worse if you know you were like a Craig at that that point, and you were a established first team uh, player. You know, I think it would have probably been a lot more distracting for myself. As I say, I was, you know, I was just a essentially a kid just trying to make my way in the game, just trying to obviously, you know, pretty much pick up a contract every year, which again was was probably also difficult because for the amount of the sheer volume of players that we had, you know, I, I'm pretty sure at one point we had, you know, had about seventy players on the books. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you had you had a first team squad of about twenty two, twenty three. You had then. An under eighteen, under nineteen squad, about twenty, and then you had um, a, a pretty much a reserve squad, which wasn't doing anything. Yeah, another, you know, twenty, twenty odd players, and you know, there, there was obviously times as well where you think, I, what, am I ever going to get a chance here? Because the amount of goalkeepers as well that were 
But, you know, it was like a revolving door as well that kept coming in um, in goalkeeping-wise. So, obviously, that, that then began to affect me as the years went on. But, you know, I probably initially, in all the shenanigans going on, it probably didn't directly affect me, just probably for the fact that I wasn't really a, you know, a main player in the squad at that mm. point. I remember going in to see Gordy and it was around the time where I think there was a squad number 70-something and he was, getting a bit, he was getting a bit worried for his washing machine that it was going to blow up because it was, it was constantly in use. Yeah. And that's the thing. And there must have been occasions where you were playing or training at Rickerton and not actually know the name of one of your teammates. Oh, yeah. I think looking back, you know, there's, there's obviously some of the well-known players that, that came in from Lithuania or whatever, and, and they, they did okay. And but there's, you know, there's another ten, fifteen of them that I, I remember playing with them, training them, and you know, even now, you know, I, I can't remember. If you probably started chucking names at me, I'd go, oh yeah. But if you ask me to deal them off right now, you know, it'd be a, a tough ask. There was just a, you know, an eighteen month period where it was just like a revolving door of players. I even remember when Robin of first kind of took over. Um, and he was in, we were in under 19s and it was like it was round about the winter time and Kaunas came over with it was like essentially like 30 players and they played their under 18 team I think you know it was like three times in a week so we we played them our strongest under 18s like you know say the Monday at the beginning of the week um, at Rickon and I think we beat their what was essentially meant to be their best team 3 nothing in the first game Second game, which was like the Thursday, I gave, played them again. We, you know, they they completely changed their team or whatever, used all the boys up, which I think was just essentially a trial game mm-hmm. for for the Countess boys to to come over, and we drew one each, and then we eventually I think we got beat in the last game two nothing. But we had pretty much been using the same kind of group of eighteen players, where they had, as I say, they had like thirty odd players over, um, and you know we obviously end up signing a few of them, but. It was it was just surreal, um, you know, just even just that sort of thing to start with, uh, you know, bringing so many players over and essentially playing around under eighteens and and signing then, you know, a good probably ten, yeah, a dozen of them anyway. You were loaned out to Queen of the South from January two thousand and seven uh, to yeah. the summer of two thousand and eight, and then that was. Uh, well, extended or it was renewed the following season for the full campaign. So it was about a year and a half yeah. that you yeah. that you spent at Palmerston. Helped them to their first Scottish Cup final. Uh, how big a part did this play in your career, this loan spell uh, in Dumfries? Because this is where you had your first kind of regular senior yeah. first team action, wasn't it? I think just, you know, it was massive in my, my development. I had spent, obviously... I think it was about 21 at that point so I'd spent probably five years first three kind of playing under 19s and then at that point they still had the the, the Premier League Reserve League um, in Scotland which for me was a good was a good step up from under 19s um, to play reserves before I went and played first team football with Queens um, in the or what's now the Championship because I you know probably at 1920 Truthfully, probably wasn't ready to go to a first team and play, you know, probably my development. I think getting to play reserve football, and it's probably an argument that still goes on to the day, should they have a reserve league or not. Um, obviously, finances dictate a lot in, in Scotland these days. But for me, you know, it was, a, it was a good spell getting to play reserve football against, you know, first team players most weeks, you know, that would be coming back for injury or weren't playing at that moment in time. And, you know, gave you a little bit of experience. Maybe wasn't as intense as, as playing a first team game. Um, before obviously getting my chance at Queen of the South, and yeah, as you say, it's a, it's a massive um, for me developing just just for confidence as well. Um, you know, there's there's loans for some people that don't work out, um, especially that that second year or the continuation of the loan. You know, a, a young Jamie Moe came and loaned to Queen of the South at that point. Oh, shudder! <laughs> uh, <laughs> who obviously he'd made a few first team hearts appearances before that and you know he, he was a young boy who had a bit of talent and maybe it didn't quite work out for him but the loan spell for him didn't work out for him at all you know he, he hardly played at Palmerston where you know for myself I, I got the, the the joys of playing week in week out here 
Um, it helps. That probably helped as well. You know, get to obviously a Scottish Cup final makes. You know, it just it gets you into that. I suppose mindset of of getting to play in big games. You know, where my first maybe year at Queens was a case of you're you're playing other teams in the league. You've got crowds of maybe two, three thousand. There wasn't any big clubs in the league, shall we say? Um, at that point where you're you're getting ten, fifteen thousand, but obviously as you progress in the cup, you know you get to semi final, you play Aberdeen, you're all of a sudden playing in front of twenty five, thirty thousand people. You win that, you get to the cup final, the Scottish Cup final, and then all of a sudden you're, you're playing in a full house at Hamden, and it, you know it was all great experiences and you know something that I suppose held you in good stead for the future. Here's one for you. Um... Most of the stories I tell on this podcast I've told before, but usually I forget that I've told them before and then done, so I was like, yeah, we know. But this, this one I know I haven't told before because it's probably the first time I've told it since it happened. So Queen of the South in 2008 um, qualified for the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup, uh, having won 2-0 at Morton. So yeah. they're, through, they're through to the last eight and... I looked, I looked at the odds, and they were like 151. Mm-hmm. So I, they're not going to. I didn't think they were going to win it. But this was yeah. before the this was before the draw was made for the for the quarterfinals. So I think me and I, I phoned Lovell because Lovell and I was going to do daft <coughs> bets, looking ahead. And I said, look, and he's like, no, don't even be stupid. No, so not even he was interested at that. So I just don't like him. No, I know, I know Stuart Lovell, but he's uh, he's normally interested in something like this. But there were 151, so I think I had a tenner each way. Um, so at least I was getting 75 to 1 or, or whatever it was if they reached the, the, the final. And then he got drawn at home at Dundee. Remember that game? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Six, over 6,000. I mean, great atmosphere. Yeah. It was on, it was on sports scene because there were two played on the Saturday. St. Johnson, St. Edmund was the other. So through the semi-final. So, again, you've got Aberdeen, St. Johnston and Rangers. So you're, you're pretty much hoping for St. Johnston. Maybe, I suppose, Aberdeen, anybody but Rangers. So they, they get Aberdeen in the semi-finals. Do you remember that game? I know, yes, remember it well as well. <laughs> what? I mean, 24,000 at Hamden. That was a bit of a basketball match, that one. But you came out in the winning side, so I, I think it must have been a fiver, because I wouldn't have won as much as 750. So you're through <laughs> at the final, and, and you've, you've got Rangers. So it's I think it's the Monday before the cup final, and... I got a phone call from a, a friend of mine who works at uh, Rangers TV and was like, oh, a regular commentator is unavailable to do the match. Do you want, do you want to commentate on the match for Rangers TV? <laughs> so I was a freelancer, so I said, oh, of course, Hearts won't in it. So I, I, I did it. And um, I was, <laughs> you kind of, as Laurie knows, with some club TV's uh, channels, you, you you can go over the top. Celtic TV's just like, there isn't a second team that are playing. And, and, and to be honest, Tom Miller's like that as well. I know Tom Miller, he's a good friend, but he it's over the top, but th- that's what they want. That's what they're after. Laurie's far more reserved and realises there's a second team. But that was one of the harder commentaries I've had to do, but I had to be pro-Rangers for Rangers TV commentary with absolutely no interest in them winning. And then when, um, when Tosher scored to make it 2-1. And <laughs> so then Thompson, oh, Jesus. When Thompson scored, um, was it Jim Thompson? James Thompson? Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Thompson, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I, had, I got a few looks at this guy doing Rangers TV commentary and um, the Queen of the South had made it 2-0. And ultimately, I think, who was it? Chris Boyd got the winning Boyd, goal? Uh, or yeah, something. Boyd just scored the but, header. Well, we'll get on to the 2012 um, Cup final shortly, but... What was that like for, for you as a player who didn't belong to them but was on loan to them, an unlikely route to the final? And then when you get back to two all in the final, you must be thinking, you know what, we could do this. We could, this could be a miracle here. Yeah, do you know what? It was, I just go back. It's such a great experience. Um, you know, we, we obviously got beaten the game, but we got treated like we had won it. Um, you know, but even went back to Dumfries that evening. You know, we had a party, and even the next game day, the, the, the we still the fans still turned out, and we we actually done a a, a small kind of bus tour at Dumfries, even though we even because we even though we got beaten, and you know, even just that, you know, we were treated like fantastically well. Um, you know, like as I say, like we had won it. You know, I, I 
loved <laughs> he'd imagine what it'd be like if we did actually win it. Um <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, it was it was great and you know, even in the lead up to the game. because um, our, our season obviously the, the the kind of championship season finishes earlier. So we obviously we'd, we'd won the semi final then I think we had a couple of weeks of um seeing out our league campaign and then we were off for pretty much like the end of April up until which I can't remember whatever date, twenty fifth of May or something it was. So so we got taken away, we actually got a nice wee trip, uh, four days in Porto Benus as well in the club. And I remember even watching because that was the time Rangers were obviously and uh we had the UEFA Cup final run as well. So I remember sitting watching them, I think it was Fiorentina game in Porto Venice. Right. And then right. you know we, we were all we were all obviously rooting for the Scottish team to go through, but even more we're all sitting going at Hopefully they get they keep playing games because the more gate like we knew there was going to be a potential um, fixture congestion for them. Mm-hmm. So we've had the opposite. We've obviously had, which I didn't think helped us overall. Probably why the sluggish start in the game um, is we obviously had the four not playing any games and try to fit. And I think I think we actually played a bounce game against the Hearts team um, at Rickern and and maybe one other. They obviously try and keep the eye in a little bit. Um, but Rangers obviously had the, other, the opposite problem. You know, there was a big hoo-ha leading up to the cup final because Rangers were playing, I think, at that point. You know, it was like Sunday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday for like about three, four weeks in a row. And I th- I'm sure they were trying to actually even change the the cup final date after the UEFA to try and obviously give them the best chance possible. So we knew, obviously, going in here that we, uh, we would have a wee bit of a sniff because, you know, that's a, it was a lot of games to play for them at that moment in time. And as I say, we maybe started, well, we obviously started very sluggishly um, going 2 0 down at half time. But, you know, I think yeah, as Gordon Chisholm as the manager, and, you know, his, his team talk was very simple at half time. It was just a case, of, you know, he, he didn't shout and ball, he didn't, he didn't really give much instruction. It was just a case, of, look, do you want to go away, like getting. Battered in the cup final, or do you just want to, you know, be remembered by having a go? And that was kind of it. And, you know, we came out and, you know, what a start to the second half. We got back to two each. And, and as you say, you, you do start to dream. You know, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're back level against a team that's in the UEFA Cup final. Uh, you know, they're probably, I think, Rangers were arguably champions that season as well. Um, and, you know, we just unfortunately fell a little bit short at the end. Um, Probably just Rangers' bit of quality that shone through, but you know what experience and what what a great team, what a great group of boys as well it was at Queens. So you returned to Hearts after about a year and a half um, in Dum at Dumfries. Uh, you managed to make your debut, although Marianne Kello yeah. became the established number one. However, a big moment for you, just your twenty fifth appearance for Hearts actually when you were twenty five, August. 2011 Tottenham Hotspur in the Europa League do you mind if I go back to my debut because even that see how you're talking about the whole Romanoff yeah time. yeah. well that was that morning I was on the bus we, we reported to Rickon waiting to go to I think it was a holiday in Glasgow for a pre-match and obviously Steve Banks was meant to play Banks I think played the first game um, of that season <laughs> And that morning of the game, we're all sitting in the bus, we're running 10-15 minutes late, we're wondering, there was no banks in the bus, no, it was Chaba was the manager at the time, we're obviously sitting waiting on him, and then it was Christos Karapidis comes up to me in the, the bus and he's like, Jamal's like, you, you're playing today, and I'm like, what? And he's like, you play today, he's like, Banksy's not playing, and I was like, how weird is he, he's ill, and he's like, I don't know. And the next thing, Marion, because Marion, I think, had just signed for Kaunas pretty much that week. He was actually training with the the young boys in the morning. And the next thing, you see him running from the training pitch and to get changed to, to come in the bus um, to be in the bench. And obviously, the fallout of that was again <laughs> Romanoff. Um, pretty much, obviously, just he just binned Banksy off. Um I think because I think he was Banks was going through his coaching badges at the time and was still was still kind of friendly with Jim Stewart who was Hearts goalie coach for a bit 
um, obviously the 2006 Cup final and things like that. But then he had went to Rangers because Banksy was still keeping in contact with him. I think he had pretty much been Banksy off because feeling that he, he was almost like a spy for Rangers at that point. <laughs> And Banks had got kind of demoted to, to being the, well, a goal coach for the under-19s for the, the kind of remainder of his contract. So that, that's how that's how my debut went as well. You know, that was a, that was an unexpected debut at Ibrox. It was kind of, <laughs> got told by Christoph Karapidis in the morning of the game. <laughs> you would have known exactly who you were up against, though. It was probably about the same team that you played at Hamden a few months yeah, before. I, I think that definitely, you know, that probably helped me. Uh, you know, I was obviously nervous regardless. You know, I was making my heart's debut. I'd waited for so long for, you know, it was six years in the making or whatever. But um, it probably helped that I had, as you say, I had literally just obviously had the cup final maybe, what, three months before mm-hmm. going to Ibrox. I'd, I'd already played in, you know, a, a big crowd, a, a pro Rangers crowd as well at Hamden. Um, so it was, you know, it probably helped settle the nerves a little bit. I think, I think we got beat 2 nothing that day, but, you know, yeah. I think I. I quitted myself pretty well, um, but yeah, sorry, sorry button there. No, 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 feel free to butt in if you've got a good story like that, then that, it's all about you. Um, looking ahead to, to that game at Tottenham, which again, must have been uh, an interesting atmosphere against a team, you know, some of the players, Carlo Curicini, your opposite number that day, yeah. Vedran Chorluca, Tom Huddleston, Nico Cranshar, and yeah. um, Andy Dixon messages and says, uh, are your friends and family bored of you mentioning the penalty every time Harry Kane comes <laughs> on the telly? And um, let's just have a quick listen back because this is just before the half hour mark at White Hart Lane in August 2011. Carroll's ball towards Kane, there he goes! Has to be a penalty! Kane got there before the keeper, McDonald. Although the ball was escaping him and he was going away from goal, there was clear contact made by a keeper who's shown a yellow card and will now face a Tottenham penalty. Great ball card, excellent movement from Harry Kane. Does get the touch first, he's always going to get clattered by McDonald. it's always going to be a penalty. Really good ball in from Carroll, he's stretching Kane but he gets there. And that's a stonewall penalty. And Harry Kane, who won the penalty, will take the penalty. Donalds and Kane meet again, this time from the spot. Eighteen-year-old Harry Kane, saved by McDonald, who has the final word in their little encounter. Right, so, I mean, I guess first up, you're... Um you're at fault for the penalty because you're the one that gives it away, <laughs> don't you? Just before the half hour yeah. mark. First up, you should have been sent off. I know. I saving did. penalties and becoming a hero. I would have, that was a red, son. See, see, to be honest, I was panicking. Um, obviously, when I've taken him down, I think it was a Greek ref. And I just remember looking at him and I was just thinking, please don't send me off. Because even, even getting to play the game, you know, was a, was a big thing because... I wasn't. I wasn't involved at the start of the season. I think you know. I think it was still Kelo. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Tottenham had came up to Tynecastle and arguably one of the best performances I've ever seen for a team um, at Tyne. You know, they were they were unbelievable that night with Defoe and Bale and whatnot. And obviously, I think you know it's around about time. I was the change of manager as well, wasn't it? With Palo just first coming in. So Palo's obviously gave a lot of the a lot of the kind of fringe boys, I suppose, a wee chance knowing that we're kind of out of the tie. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it was a big thing. But then when I brought him down, you know, I was thinking, oh, please don't send me off. You know, just getting a chance to play at White Hart Lane, you know, great atmosphere. The Hearts fans were, were fantastic that night. You know, they, I suppose they were just probably down for a party and you find well the, obviously the outcome of the game overall. But, um, yeah, it was just the worry that the ref was going to send me off. Anastasios Kakos, must have um, felt like it's all right. It's five nil. There's no need to send yeah. anyone off. <laughs> I think that's definitely helped me in the in the long run. I think if it was nil nil across the both legs at that point, I think I might have gone. <laughs> so eighteen year old Harry Kane steps up. Did, did you know anything about him at that point? No, I, I think that was his debut. Yeah. Um I'm pretty sure. You know, it's it's one of the ones that 
obviously, as the years have gone by, it becomes a bigger moment in my career. Um, as you say, that people mention it where, you know, people at the time, you know, people in the next couple of years falling at you, obviously, they were maybe at White Hart Lane would always bring up and say, oh, brilliant, what? Because we obviously never scored that night and we're like, it was as good as a goal. You know, the clean sheet at White Hart Lane, which I think we were the only team to do that season as well. Mm-hmm. We were. Which yeah. was, we, we you know, again, a nice accolade to kind of to put in your CV. Um, you know, it maybe wasn't their strongest starting 11, but when you still look at the players they had in show that night, you know, it was still a, a pretty, no, no bad team. I have to say, Jamie, I've got plenty of mileage of that on Top Sport over the years. Anytime I do stuff with Harry, with Harry, uh, with Paul Hawksby, he always, if it comes up, talks about Harry Kane's penalty miss, and I'm quick to correct him. No, no, no. It's a save. <laughs> Donald's penalty save. <laughs> Does that piss off goalkeepers when um, journalists or anybody talk about a penalty miss as opposed to a penalty save? If, a, if the ball doesn't go in and it's saved by the goalkeeper, so many people say it's a penalty miss, which theoretically is correct, but you guys are only getting the credit for it. Yeah, I think it probably does. It's it's even annoying. You know, see the <laughs> these shots in games that you get a wee flick on it and you get given a goal kick. I think well, the, the go- Craig Gordon won at the weekend. The, aye, just uh, half time. I'm sure Craig was asking for a corner there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you know that's a goalie thing to do. It's you, <laughs> you very rarely get the plaudits. So when it does happen like that, you you obviously want to take advantage of it. You know, it's usually the strikers or or your gousers poaching in the goal line um, that like to take the credit for things. So it's always nice when you you get the chance to to get a wee bit of recognition in a game. So you played against Auchinleck Talbot um, in January. It was actually your first game for over three months at that point. But within a few have weeks... We, have we really just gone from Tottenham Hotspur at White <laughs> to Auchinleck Talbot? That Basically, yeah. The, wow. wow that's, um, that's quite the transition. <laughs> yeah. But you, within a few weeks of this game, you were first choice. Now, the old Castle Rock uh, messaged us and asked... Um, was there any animosity between you and Kello after Kello was frozen out? Because, of, for, of course, part of the reason you became number one uh, was because Marion Kello had a contract dispute. Yeah. And his place was obviously under, well, under threat, but he was replaced by yourself. What was that like? I mean, between the goalkeepers or did you have much knowledge of what was going on? Yeah, there was no animosity whatsoever between me and Marion. You know, me and Marion gone very well before that um, you know I think I've been known to say in the past you know I, I couldn't argue about not getting in the team that you know pretty much it was an 18 month spell where Marion was unbelievable mm-hmm. um, you know some of his performances for Harps were, were a different world and you know I, obviously around about that time the, um, there was the Romanov contract dispute issue as you say and you know, I think Marion was even getting linked to like, you know, Aston Villa and things at the time. Um, obviously, as you say, I, I became a, the benefactor of 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 Marion, obviously, his uh, dispute. Um, but there was no animosity whatsoever. You know, even after it, you know, Marion, he still turned up to training. He, he was still very supportive. You know, you could tell he was gutted that he wasn't playing, and especially as, as obviously the season went on. In terms of obviously the the cup run, and you know, you know, I I still you know obviously what I do as well for myself, and you need to be selfish in football, but you know there is always a little bit that you know felt sorry for him because after you know playing so well for the club and you know giving his all, and you know he's just like anybody else, just want to try and move on to something you know maybe different. You know, probably if he continued to play that season, where would have ended up? Who knows? He probably could have went and. And, you know, tripled his wage, quadrupled his wage, whatever. If he went out to England, so it was it was a difficult time because even for myself, you know, I, I actually found it quite hard in games. To be honest, I, you know, I I just never ever felt like I was the number one. Mm-hmm. Like I was always probably in the back of my mind, well aware that I was kind of playing, not really from merit, but more from somebody else's misfortune and. I think it probably showed in my performances because I, I think my performances in the league more the cup I generally I think I did okay and played well in the cup games but the, my league form was so up and down 
Um, and I think a lot of that comes from, you know, as I say, I, I just probably I didn't quite have the confidence because, I, I, as I say, I, I felt I almost felt as if it was getting in by somebody else's misfortune rather than on, on my own merit. I guess, is that a, a big thing? I think we've spoken about it before when Hearts have had some goalkeeping troubles in, in recent years. And is that a position in the park where confidence is a huge thing because one little slip, you know, you take your eye off the ball for one moment um, or you let something just creep under your foot or whatever and everyone remembers that and it's replayed countless times because it hits the back of the net. Is confidence a really big thing for, for that position on the park? I, th- I think confidence is a big thing for any position in the football field, you know. Players breed off confidence, but obviously even more so as a goalkeeper. Um, as you say, the, you know, you get, you get a striker that maybe, you know, has 10 chances a game and scores one, but it's a 1-0 victory, he's the hero. You get a goalkeeper that makes nine saves in a game, but lets one mistake in, you know, you're, you're vilified. And it's, it's just the way the position is. And it's hard to, you know, especially as well, it, it can be difficult. You know, Tidecastle can be a difficult place sometimes to play as a home player. As, you know, it can be. There's, there's no getting away from it. But that's just the standards. As you, if you're playing for a big club, you know that's the one thing. You know, anybody I speak to that's maybe, you know, it's played at a, le- a lower level and they're moving up the ranks. You know, we've got a young lad, Dylan Tate at Rafe now, who's, who's just signed for obviously the, the rivals Hibs right now. But you know, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, it's a different level having to play in front of you know. 15,000 whatever fans, you know, when things aren't going well, then then you know you've only got a couple of thousand on your back. You know, you need to you have big shoulders and the mindset to kind of to deal with that. Um, and that's you know that's all part of learning. And and even for me myself at that time, going into that, you know, the, since I came back from a loan spell at Queens, I, I had played games, but I was in and out. I was never, I had never been a regular. You know, I, I was I was really just filling in. You know, I, I managed to get you know maybe at that up to that point maybe thirty forty games under my belt because I play you know due injuries to Marion or it was Janos that was obviously there as well at the time, and I'd fill in for two or three games at a time. But I I would never have a run of you know I'd never get my chance of twelve games or or you know like a proper run at it to 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 establish myself, and that was obviously the first time. Um, was was kind of that that. Six months of 2000, the first six months of 2012 season. You went on to play every game in the run to the Scottish Cup final, and you know people, as you actually very aptly mentioned, people remember the goals, they remember Scatchell, they remember Beatty, Hamill, Zalukas all getting goals <laughs> in that run. Um, but there was a really big moment in the quarter final replay, and I remember this was, I think this was quite a big moment for you as well. I feel uh, away yeah. at St Mirren, two two in the home game at Tynecastle. It's nil yeah. nil in the replay. Uh, Marisal Yukis with a handball. I think it's twelve or thirteen minutes in. Yeah. And I'll, I'll quickly play this. This is Graham Carey stepping up with a penalty kick. Graham Carey against Jamie McDonald. Carey gave his side the lead at time. Castle is denied. Wonderful save from Jamie McDonald. Lower cross to his left hand side. That's a great penalty save, and it's disappointment for Sunderland. So St Mirren with a chance to go 1-0 up in the replay in the quarter-final and uh, you stand up. And this is a, this is actually a really big penalty save and it's a really strong left hand. You get to this down to your left-hand side. Um, how did that feel? Because that is one of those moments where it, it it's about as close as scoring uh, to scoring a goal as most goalkeepers can get. Yeah, uh, do you know, it was, we're obviously at the heart's end as well. So, yeah, you know, it was a massive moment, as you say, for me. As well, more than anything, because as I say, I, as I've already alluded to, like, I, I felt my my performances overall were a bit erratic um, for the club at that time. I, I generally had my better games in the cup games, and you know that for me was probably my biggest moment throughout the cup run. Um, you know, Kerry, he's you know he's got a, he had a fantastic start. I'm sure he scored a couple of worldies in me the previous yeah. seasons. Um, so uh, yeah, I kind of I had a, a rough idea that he was, you know, he, he always used to like to reverse the ball type thing. So you know, I'd I'd went early and 
managed to get a good hand in it and obviously make the save and then we go on to win two nothing. So yeah, it was it was probably a really it probably was a bit of a turning point for me and and my heart's career because you know you're as I say I was I was trying to just finally try to establish myself as a number one. I finally got a run of games and you know it's moments like that that can probably make you or break you. Um, you know if we didn't go. We didn't, you know, we go one 0 down there. You you lose that game. You don't win the twenty twelve, the two thousand twelve cup final. Then where does my heart's career go? You know, for me going on and winning the cup, going back to confidence gave me all of a sudden to being the one that didn't feel like he deserved it. To all of a sudden being a cup winner. To all of a sudden feeling right, I'm the heart's number one now. I want to take you back to McDermott Park. Hearts are a goal down. Uh, Davidson, six minutes from time. Do you think it was a penalty before Jamie equalised to take it to extra time? Did it look like a penalty from your viewpoint? Stonewaller. It did. For me, it did. You know, it's one of the ones that's it's probably difficult to tell. Probably still difficult to tell even you see it in video or whatever. But for me, it's a penalty. You know, you, the, the boy kind of that. Was it Suso that won it? I think so. I'm pretty sure it was Suso. I'm sure he was getting pelters for it. It was more. The only thing I could really remember about the penalty incident overall was actually Hamill scoring and Dana gets by and booting lumps <laughs> out the 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 advertising hoard and after scoring it. Um, but nah, that was you know again you you and cup runs you know and other cup runs that I've had as well. You, you sometimes just know when you know it's just for you. And that was probably another, you know, the, the way it kind of happened, you know, that, that incident. Because that was another replay. We did it hard way, didn't we? A couple yeah. of replays. Yeah. Um, at McDermott Park and then obviously the, then it was St Mirren and the penalty save for me before obviously going on in the, the semis. But even even knocking, like going back to the Ock and Light game, you know, we made hard work at um and the big goal is uh, was a big Andy Leishman for Auckland. You know, he had a fantastic game that day and then they've got the the offside goal that was miles offside as well for Auckland. <laughs> 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 but but you know you just get a job on Rangers T V with stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was something there was pretty much something every round where you need it's a bit of luck you need yeah. to go and win a trophy. And you know, we you know <laughs> And we got it. And that's, and as I say, we, obviously in the final, we didn't need it. Right, let's cut the Jamie McDonald chat short for now. But I think as things progress, we're going to have to, we're going to have to make this a two-parter, Mark. This one's going to need a sequel. Yes. And we're filming, we're filming, we're recording <laughs> Tuesday night, your time, Tuesday afternoon, my time. So, Hopefully over the next six days you get a double dose of scars around the funnel. We've got to keep up with all these young whippersnappers and, and other hearts podcasts, which are great and more the merrier. Um, but we need to keep coming up with stuff to, to, to try and make our podcast relevant and people um, hopefully wanting to still listen to it. Tune in to our second part of the podcast this week. Uh, it should be available about 24 hours after listening to this one. Um, and I think we might even be able to throw... Uh, a cameo appearance from someone else in. Mm. Mm. And this is what this is where I've got to talk about something we've already recorded. But yeah, I'm not yeah. sure what's going to all. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, okay, maybe just maybe that, that there might be an an additional guest if you keep listening. Anyway, thank you for tuning in, and we'll be back very soon with part two of uh, episode one five one of Scarves Around the Funnel. <laughs> <laughs>